and we last week finished um, after verse 12 in chapter 5 and talking about uh, some of what Jesus was doing uh, in the Beatitudes and as he concludes and transitions there we move on to verses 13 through 16 familiar um, verses to us and even to um, those outside of uh, the, the church in, in some ways. He says in, in verse 13, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So in these verses and the, the ones right before this, Jesus has transitioned from speaking about general groups. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. And specifically now is talking to his disciples who have come to him, who are hearing him teach. And he says, blessed are you when people insult you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And so as those of us who are following through with Matthew's story and have identified ourselves with those who are either curious, wondering, or attempting to follow Jesus, attempting to be his disciples who have heard him, just as he has called James and John and Peter and Andrew, follow me, and we've said, maybe we're going to check that out. These sayings, these verses, are directed toward those of us who would identify as disciples, as those who are attempting to learn and be like Jesus. And Jesus is saying, this is the purpose. This is what it, what the, the results are going to be when you come into my kingdom and become the type of people that are described, present, um, evident in the Beatitudes. So as you come, as you follow, as you become like me, as you inhabit these characteristics as kingdom people, the results are going to be some kind of impact, some kind of influence. 
And there's both a a warning and um, a a positive outcome that are talked about in these verses. For uh, for this situation. Jesus is talking to people who are under Roman rule and occupation. This is in the middle, middle part of the beginning of the Pax Romana of the, the great uh, 200 years of what Rome referred to as their peace. Everything is going well and everyone is living well and we have conquered all our enemies so there is peace because there's no one left to fight us. And they think that they have established peace, that they have established their kingdom that is uh, not going to be overcome by any other earthly powers. And... The people of Israel have been longing for this king, this servant, this Messiah who will bring God's people back to God, who will be the righteous ruler, the prince of peace, the one who um, rules with justice and righteousness. And Jesus has told people that that kingdom is near, that it is on the doorstep that it is available but also it is coming in a very different manner right people were expecting right the the zealots don't like officially become very organized and everything till after the time of Jesus but we know that one of the disciples is Simon the zealot so there's this um, at least in, in some parts, this attitude of, well, when, when the Messiah comes, there's going to be uh, military power, military victory, and we will um, conquer in the way that we have been conquered. And Jesus, in describing the people of his kingdom, the attitudes of his kingdom, the characteristics of those who are a part of his kingdom does not describe his coming kingdom in the ways that the kingdoms of the world have come and conquered. But rather, that it's a completely different kind of thing. And that as those people who are part of his rule are in the world they will be salt and light they will have some kind of impact some kind of purpose to fulfill and so Um, and so the connection to Jesus right from the light 
as we talked about in, in Matthew chapter 4, that's where Jesus starts his ministry and Matthew says it's going to be fulfilled that the people who were in darkness saw a great light. That um, is tied into all of the Old Testament uh, promises that when uh, Israel was working as it should be, when everything is consummated, that they're not only going to be living right with God, but they will be a light to the nations, that all will come and worship God in Zion, not just a small group of people, a one nation, but all people. And this being the light of the world is a continuation that as you enter my kingdom and become my kingdom people, that you, you disciples are the salt. You are the light. And specifically, right, it goes down and he says, letting your light shine is so that they can see your good deeds and therefore glorify your Father in heaven. And so we read uh, a few weeks ago, right, the, the whole Sermon on the Mount, and we know that there's that whole section in the beginning of chapter 6 where Jesus is like, hey, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, don't let anybody see what you're doing. Like, don't, don't do a trumpet in front of yourself on the way uh, to give your offering. Uh, don't disfigure yourself so everybody knows you're fasting. Don't, like, go on the street corner and pray so that everybody can see how righteous you are and how great your prayer life is. But here... It says, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So maybe Jesus is saying more than one thing about what we should do, um, how we should act, what our deeds are supposed to be used for. And I think as we consider the sermon as a whole and understand how much of it is Jesus going for our hearts, I think we can see that the distinction here is about what's going on in our heart, what is our motivation. If, if the good deeds we're doing are a result of being kingdom people, are a result of inhabiting the Beatitudes, of doing things that bring righteousness and justice, that show mercy, that make peace, we aren't doing those to get noticed. We're doing them because that's what Jesus' people do. We're doing them because there's no other way to be once we have become like him. And so... We, we come to this and see that being the light, being on a hill and not hidden, being the lamp, is equated with actually doing something. And this is um, maybe something that 
we should consider and think about and wonder about because we very often want to rush to, well, being the light of the world is just that I have accepted that Jesus is king. And Jesus says once we do that, there's actually going to be a certain way that we live out our lives, a certain way that we carry ourselves, a certain way that we tend to act and be that others will see and notice a difference and say, wait, they don't think that the way the world is currently working is the only way to do things. These are people that see that the world is built off of economic power or military power or um, built on all of these other systems of um, being above other people or having power or control um, over others. And these are people who see that everything really isn't that great. These are people that, that see something is not right in the way things are, and they're actually living in light of some other reality. And that means that there's a legitimate actual difference in the way that we act. Jesus says that we will be salt and light when we are different from the kingdoms of this world, whatever they are. Our country that we currently live in has a long history of, like Rome, thinking that we are the city on the hill as a nation, right? There's a, a speech from uh, uh, John Winthrop in the 1600s that um, presidents from John Kennedy to Ronald Reagan to Barack Obama um, have all quoted about America being that city on a hill, thinking that we, as a worldly nation, are supposed to be what God is, is doing. And there is, there is um, always reason for us to want whatever country or nation or institution or um, workplace or whatever we're a part of to be doing good and right in the world. But Jesus is getting at, at something different here, right? When Jesus is being taken captive at the end of his ministry in his final week. And they're like, why aren't you defending your kingdom? And he's like, my kingdom's not like the kingdoms of this world. It doesn't work like that. So why would I go about trying to establish it violently? The point of my kingdom is totally different. When he's about to be captured and Peter chops off the ear, he says, that's not how we do things. He asks him to put the sword away. And so part of being the light and seeing the good deeds 
is we do them as they are us living out what it is to be the people of God. It's not the point of we are going to establish our own peace by whatever power or oppression or uh, violent means, whether that's uh, verbal or physical. It's saying, as you are peacemaking, as you are merciful, as you are seeking justice and righteousness in those ways as you become those people that is when you are the salt and the light and there's a, a warning in the the image of the salt where he says if the salt loses its saltiness how can it be made salty again it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And so we know if, if, if you have pure salt, it's just salt. It's not like an unstable element. It's not one of the radioactive elements. But there would be situations where um, some of the salt that they would get would be mixed with other minerals. It would be um, not totally pure. And so you would use it and the salt, as it was used, would dissolve. It would uh, react with uh, the food it was preserving. It would dissolve into um, the water or whatever. And eventually you'd be left with the remains. And he said, if you get to that point, like, it's not, it's not helpful anymore. Like, it can't be salt. So what are you going to do with something that isn't what it is? And this, this warning is, is very um, in line with how God has talked to his people throughout Scripture up to this point. God has always said, hey, I, I would like to use this group of people. I would like to use this generation. I would like to use um, whoever it is all throughout Scripture, all throughout um, the First Testament. And at different points, God says, well, so-and-so you have missed your chance. You missed your opportunity. And I'm going to have to take away your influence. I'm going to have to take away your position. I'm going to have to take away um, what I had given to you because you are not living how my people live. You are not walking how my people walk. And so the warning, the... Um, The phrasing here is the same for us to say we ought to be careful to make sure that we are considering and um, looking inward to see are we in our lives actually living out the attitudes and practices, the life of the kingdom or not. Because if we're not, 
then we are in danger of perhaps losing um, opportunity and influence. Uh, Scott McKnight says that we must take to heart that what Jesus says, if we damage the impact we already have, that impact may never be regained, as is the case with some leaders who have fallen, with parents who have sacrificed their integrity in a family or a neighborhood through morally reckless behaviors, etc. What's worse, Jesus evidently warns of judgment. That there is a real um, seriousness to the fact that we are the salt and the light. That this is about the reality, the true reality of the world. And so Jesus wants his disciples to take it very seriously, to know that if we walk away from the narrow road, that if we end up not doing what we have heard him say as he explains at the end of the sermon, that at that point, we would be no use. At that point, we would not be salty anymore. So Jesus wants to make sure that his disciples understand the idea of perseverance because he's just talked to them right about the fact that as you enter the kingdom, blessed are you when you're persecuted for my namesake. Blessed are you when people say all kinds of things against you because you're attempting to follow me, because you're attempting to be merciful and just and kind and pure in heart and poor in spirit. Blessed are you when you're living like this. They're going to persecute you just like they persecuted the prophets, just like all those other people who have been my salt and light in the world to say that, hey, the way we are living doesn't line up with God. Just like all of those other people, there is the necessity for you to remain true to who I am making you to be. And that we are then not just, we don't just have the light, we don't just have the salt, but we are. So in our being as a community, we are the light of the world. And it's um, here where Jesus begins to uh, hint at what he's going to invite us into in the Lord's Prayer, right? He, see, he says, who is going to be glorified? Your Father in heaven. He is letting us know that as we do this, people, as we, as a family, live out the kingdom, as we, as a family do this, our Father in heaven is glorified. As they see right? That blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. As we are those who make peace 
as we are those who present the one who can make peace with all people, they see that and they see, oh, they're children of their heavenly father. And that is something that will make them glorify your father in heaven. That Jesus is saying this isn't just like a, as, as people that are privileged to live in a time where we can have so many uh, individual um, opportunities to read the Bible on our own, to have individual copies of scripture, we can, we can read this and, and think you are the salt of the earth and think that, that that's me. And that's only me, like when I'm reading it sometimes, whatever the, the you is, right? And so this idea that we're glorifying our Father in heaven helps us to remember that you are the light of the world is the group of his disciples, that you are the salt of the earth is the community of those who are living in the kingdom, and that this, is, this isn't a, a me task, it's a we task. And so when, whenever we are left to do this on our own, Whenever I leave those who are a part of the community to do this without me, I am hindering um, the ability of God's people to be the salt and the light. And so we get to the point that it is the good works, these good deeds that are glorifying, that are bringing others to glorify God. And so we want to be, we want to make sure, well, does, does that mean that we're, um, you know, we're not saying that only the good deeds are, are um, what is making us right with God. No, this is after we have become uh, his people, right? So what, uh, um, uh, Richard Rohr says here is he is not saying that those who live this way are going to heaven in this passage. He is saying that they will be a certain kind of gift for the earth, that this is specifically about what we are to do, what kind of impact we are to have in the already not yet portion of life of time that this is about now that we are in the kingdom what is the result what is our life supposed to look like right and so if we he goes on to say if we no longer believe the gospel if we no longer believe in nonviolence and powerlessness then who's going to convert us we're supposed to be the leaven of the world, yet if we no longer believe the gospel, what hope do we have of offering anything new to the nations? And so we are, are left to wonder, what does it look like for our group of disciples? What does it look like for our group of kingdom people to be salt and light where we are? What does it look like for 
us to let our light shine so that others can see our good deeds and glorify God. What does it look like for this group? The disciples in Jesus' day and right after had to figure out what it looked like for them to be the light of the world. And in each generation, each group of people, each um, place where the kingdom has taken root, the question for us is, what does it look like to be salt where we are? What does it look like to be the light where we are? Sometimes it's very easy to look somewhere else and be like, oh, well, the salt be being the salt there is quite obvious. Being the light there is quite obvious. They're doing this all wrong. Sometimes it may take more thought, more uh, time to, to think, what does it look like practically here? And Jesus is going to talk about how to bring our imagination to all of life, to live this way, Um, in the coming sections of the sermon. But this is for us to think about what would becoming like the people of the Beatitudes look like here and what would those things cause us to do differently than we are doing now, do more than what we are doing now, how would it change what we think about what it means to be salt and light, what it means to share the good news of the kingdom and what is involved in that and what we are able to do. And uh, N.T. Wright and Michael Bird say this in the New Testament in its world. Uh, the sermon is not, first and foremost, a private message for individuals to find salvation in Jesus. Though, of course, it includes that in its wider reaches. And it's not simply a great moral code. It makes the sense it does because it depends all through on Jesus' kingdom announcement and on the fact that Jesus himself was, through this announcement, summoning people to follow him in the new way of life, the kingdom way. They're not about behaving nicely so that God will reward you with a place in a kingdom called heaven. The sermon is rather the agenda for kingdom people who want to work for the kingdom. The work of the kingdom is in fact summed up pretty well in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor, the mourners, the meek, those hungering for justice, the merciful, the pure-hearted, the peacemakers, and the persecuted. These people are not only blessed, but more than that, even in their vulnerability and weakness, they are the ones precisely through whom Jesus intends blessings to flow to others. These are sayings about the type of people through whom Jesus intends to transform the world. When God wants to change the world, he doesn't launch missiles. Instead, he sends the meek, the mourners, and the merciful. When God wants to put things to right, he doesn't scramble combat jets. He calls people to love and do justice. Through those kind of things and people, the blessings of God's reign begin to appear in the world. And so as we 
we think about that this isn't that everything is being made right right now. Jesus is asking us to enter into the kingdom and to live and act and walk in patience. Right? We, we talked a few weeks ago about um, the other parables that Jesus compares the kingdom to, like leaven in the flour and like the small mustard seed that eventually takes over the garden. And Jesus is starting here with a small group of people and he's saying, you are going to live out the kingdom where you are. And you don't need to worry about having to conquer everything. I've conquered. I'm the one who is bringing the kingdom in and you have the opportunity to live it out here. And so we aren't, we aren't called to, to worry about how everything is going to play out where we don't have control or influence. We are called to worry about being actual salt and light in the place that we have influence. Whatever that is, whether that's our workplace, our family, um, our relationships with one another, our neighborhoods, those are the places where God calls us to be salt and light, to think about what it means to be salt and light, and to seek to inhabit the Beatitudes right where we are. And we'll find when we do that, that Jesus may do something that we aren't expecting, because that's what Jesus has always been about. Um, so, let's pray.